Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is Aaron Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Today, John McDonnell, the former Shadow Chancellor under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, he's a long-standing stalwart of the left, going back to when, in the days of Greater London Council in the 1980s, he ran the finances. But he's been a huge presence, big influence on me. I used to work for him. Uh, I once uh, worked on trying to get him as leader of the Labour Party, along with Andrew Fisher, who ended up as head of policy under Corbyn. Now, I want to speak to him in the aftermath of Batley and Spen, the by-election there, where Labour scrapes through with its lowest share of the vote in the history of that constituency, about where next for the left, for Labour, um, about the disillusionment amongst British Muslim voters and how they feel they're being treated by Labour, um, about general turmoil in the party, about the failure of opposition. There's a lot we need to talk about. Uh, do support the podcast on patreon.com forward slash ownjoes84 or the support function. You keep all of this going. It's a lot of effort and obviously I do only the babbling. Um, or and, and also do subscribe. Give us five stars. Go on, you know you want to and a review. And uh, also you can li- you can watch, of course, on the YouTube channel or on Facebook or wherever. Uh, with all that said and done, here's John. Hey, hey John, how you doing? Very Hi, good to see good. you. Good. I just want to hear, firstly, I suppose, just your response to Batley and Spen. And obviously, across the Labour Party, people were delighted that Kim led to one. But I suppose there's a danger that the triumphalism that is currently being heard eclipses the fact that if you look at that result and the swing towards the Conservatives, that Labour, as well as you look at Hartlepool by-election, in which obviously Labour lost very badly, that the Labour Party is heading for a very bad defeat. And it's not just failing to gain over new voters, which is what Keir Starmer promised. It's alienating existing members of its electoral coalition. He stuck with it in 2019. What do you think? Um, I wrote a bit on um, Friday about this, just first reactions. I think the first collective reaction across the movement should be, and I think it is for most people, just heavy sigh of relief, a huge sigh of relief, because not only would have been a setback for the whole of the Labour Party, it would have been, a, I think, a huge setback for Batley and Spen in the whole country, to be honest, if the Tories had won in Batley and Spen, um, as a result of the nature of the campaign that went on there, which was appalling, really. So I think, first of all, a sigh of relief. If, if there is any triumphalism, I just think people aren't living in the real world. And I don't say that as a, an attack on anyone. I just, just people have got to have a a bit of objectivity about all this, you know, the, the nature of the seat and to have that small majority. And, you know, I, you have to pay tribute to 
Kim Ledbetter, you know, for the the courage she had in putting up with what she did. But I think it was, and there was a good mobilisation. There's no doubt about that. People poured in, party members poured in from all over to get that vote out. And I think the Hancock scandal did did help us a bit, and the very low key Tory campaign. But if anyone thinks there's, you know, this is somehow something to celebrate as a huge victory i think they're just deluding themselves we've got to have a serious a serious think about where we go next and that actually that should bring out the best in people it shouldn't we it shouldn't bring out sort of personalized or sectarian attacks i think this should bring out the best of the party where we actually do recognize that we're on the edge of another precipice if we're not careful of a, a tory government that is well, I don't think we've ever seen this level of corruption in any government before in this country. That's the first thing. And the second thing is people should not underestimate what is about to be inflicted upon us. It's not just another round of austerity. The health bill that they're bringing forward will mean that actually this is this is the biggest threat to the NHS we've seen since its existence. This is a huge potential privatisation of the NHS. It's laying the foundation stones for that. And then on top of that, you lay the police and crime bill, um, which effectively could undermine the ability of people just to basically protest against such measures like that. And then if you look at what's happening in terms of the practices that are going on within the economy, fire and rehire, which is, again, almost a step back to the 1930s in terms of the way work, workers were treated by their employers. I think we're on a, we've got a huge, huge battle to face. You know, I don't like all these military illusions, but I can't think of anything else to say. So therefore, what we should be doing now as a party, a whole party, it's not down to any individual, it's down to everybody, as a movement, as a party, We've got to have an objective assessment of where we're at and then develop a strategy which is both immediate but serious as well in terms of laying some long-term long-term foundation stones for the movement in the future. So uh, if there's any form of triumphalism, I think people are just not living on the same planet as the rest of us. Before I ask you about, the, you've written a piece for the eye which sets out five lessons that Keir Starmer needs to take from the by-election. We had earlier on uh, two guests, but one you know well, Ali Milani. You know, you, you've known him for many years and you've worked with him. Um, and we discussed the huge disillusionment that exists amongst Muslim voters, 86% of whom voted for Labour Party in 2019. Some voted for Labour all their life. And what we've seen since the by-election, we already had briefings suggesting Muslim voters were driven by anti-Semitism and homophobia in their disillusionment. But it was a campaign source said that Labour basically built a new electoral coalition in six weeks, lost the Conservative Muslim vote over gay rights in Palestine and won back a, low, a lot of 2019 Tory voters. This result shows we're reconnecting with the wider electorate again, again, to emphasise the lowest share of the vote Labour's ever got in battling spend in the history of that seat. But what's that? I mean, by the way, Labour campaigners, I said this earlier, everyone, a consensus was, no one was talking about LGBTQ issues on the doorstep. What does that say about the modern Labour Party and its attitude to Muslim voters who are already angry and disillusioned with a party they see as their own? Ali Milani is one of my local councillors in, in Hayes and Harlington. And the reason I say that 
is because often people will come onto programs and comment um, and um, I respect people who do the routine work as well. And what I like about Ali and why he's become a good comrade and friend is because he's not just articulate, he's not just a good campaigner, but he does the routine work as well as a local councillor. And that, that gives you a base within a wider community as well. Um, and so people like Ali need to be listened to. And the Muslim network is, I think, one of the most refreshing things that we've had in recent years in, in the party. And their survey, it came as a bit of a shock to me, to be honest, about because I have a large, I have a large Muslim population. My, my constituent, well, you know, it, and you've been down here campaigning enough times. It's a large multicultural community and I love it you know we rubber get together along very well because we work together so much and I don't think people in the party completely understand what Ali and others have been saying about the level of disaffection that there is within the Muslim community now there are debates in every community about issues we agree with and disagree with and you have to take them on you know I come from an Irish Catholic background we had, to, we had to have that debate about abortion and the woman's right to choose. And we had to have that debate. And on a whole range of issues, that's what's happening in a whole range of different communities. And, I actually, and that's a positive role the Labour Party plays, you know, on, on issues of progressive, particularly civil liberties, human rights, that sort of thing. Our party is meant to raise those issues and do it in a way where you convince people, you bring them with you. And sometimes that's tough. Sometimes you have to be hard in those debates as well. And that's what we've had to be in, in a whole range of issues like that. But then when you get sort of comments that don't further debate, but actually set it backwards, I just, I don't know where people are. I really don't. And it, ref it reflects to me that actually there are some and they might be decision makers within our party at the moment or advisors within our party at the moment. I don't think that fully understand what's going on the ground and haven't really spoken to the community itself. So I, I sometimes you can get very angry about, about this, but some of the comments I've heard about, as you say, this building of a coalition uh, from the Batley and Spend campaign, that isn't what I'm getting on the ground. What I'm getting from my local Muslim community is actually one of the biggest issues that they've they've t taken to their heart, understandably, is Palestine. And where we had, I don't, I was trying to find out the truth of this, where we had one constituency party told, for example, that they couldn't even discuss BDS, you know, boycott, disinvestment and sanctions, a policy I support, and actually a majority of Labour Party members from these polling support it, where they tell you can't even discuss it, what sort of message that that send out to Muslim, well, people, not just the Muslim community, but in other communities as well, that this is so central to their well, their belief of how to tackle injustice, and then you're not allowed to discuss it. I just extraordinary. There's issues like that, and this issue that was has been raised with me from the local Muslim community about um, Kia when he left the Iftar, uh, again, because there was someone one of the organisers was a BDS supporter. Can you imagine that sort of message, how, the impact it's had on, and this, it isn't this interesting, this is on the wider community. I'm talking about people 
who in my local mosque are senior members of that mosque. We're not just talking about young people. We're not talking about hotheads either. We're talking about serious people who understand the feelings within their community. So I think there's a lot of work that's got to be done about understanding. I thought we'd, I honestly thought we'd got there, but this reveals we clearly hadn't. And Ali Milani and the Muslim Network Survey demonstrate just what people feel about it, you know? And the fact that there's a belief we haven't dealt with Islamophobia properly. Uh, again, all these issues have got to be addressed now. And again, that's why, you know, anyone who's trying for this about battling spend completely misinterpret it. I think congratulate Kim Ledbeater and tell her what a fantastic work, role she's played and the, what a good MP she'll be within that community and let her get on with that work now and settle that community. But let's have a proper objective discussion about where we're at electorally. But that then does link to where we're at ideologically and where we're at in terms of the development of policies as well. What you said in your uh, very important piece, and people do, I hope everyone who's watching or listening looks up the five lessons Keir Starmer can learn after Labour's battling and spent by-election win, which John penned for the eye, is that uh, you say you're the leader of the opposition against the most corrupt government line prime minister this government has ever had. For God's sake, show some anger. You also say stop painting and fast the vision of society you want us all to create and show how it can be done with a short, sharp set of policies. And I suppose that really gets to the heart of what a lot of the critique of the current leadership, uh, where a lot of the critique is, which is, A, they've allowed the government to get away with one of the worst handlings of the pandemic on Earth, which has killed 150,000 people, one of the worst death tolls on the planet, with terrible economic consequences as well. And secondly, that they don't have a vision. And if I speak to Labour MPs, which I do across the political spectrum, there is a consensus that the current Labour leadership does not have any vision whatsoever of what it seeks to do with yeah. political power, with a big question mark about whether it's actually capable of doing it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi. I was on the march yesterday. Um, I spoke at the march in London on the NHS and uh, we were outside Downing Street protesting. It was a good turnout. Some of the speeches were so moving. Um, some of the NHS workers themselves and the, the feeling I got is that they were campaigning so hard, but also the, what the message they were getting across is what they've been through over the last 12 months, the pressures that they're still under and the heartbreaking experiences that they've had and what, you know, a lot of them were very young workers. You know, we, you talk about 21, 22, 23, 24 year olds, um, the experience of being the last person that someone will 
ever hold a hand of you know they were sitting next to people as they were dying trying to comfort them it's just and the, the hours they've worked is just phenomenal really and then to have you know the, it wasn't just about hancock i couldn't care less who hancock was screwing to be honest it was the thing that got to them was johnson who has been responsible for tens of thousands of deaths the way he mishandled this crisis, refused to accept this, the severity of the threat at the beginning. But then also the anger that there is that Tories are making huge profits out of this. You know, contracts handed to their family members and friends. And there were people really, you know, they'd been through everything over the last year. They'd been through hell, to be honest, many of them. And they were really angry that having all that sacrifice. And remember, thousand, a thousand health workers have died during the pandemic all that sacrifices that they've made and then they look to the side and there you have these Tories lining their pockets um, ex exploiting the crisis for profit so yeah I want I want Keir to be angry I want him to be bloody angry actually I think we all should be bloody angry and you need to express that you need to demonstrate to people you too like them have these strong emotions and that we need to ex use that emotion to isolate the Tories and expose them. I still think that the NHS, if they, there's no wave of threat of privatisation, there's the issue actually that could destroy the Tories. And I think it's the one that they're the most vulnerable on because it's such an act of betrayal of all those people who sacrificed so much of the last year. And, and it is another exemplification about all they're interested in is profit. They're not interested in people. So it's, I want, I want every, I want Keir, but I want every, the whole Labour Party should be really a surge of real anger about what these Tories are doing. And every time we speak about them, we've got to get, get that across. And I, this level of corruption, we cannot let it be normalised. This is not the way a society should operate. This is not the way our society should operate after... You know, over years and years and years and generations of campaigning to establish, a, you know, the, the form of democracy that we've got at the moment, and then to see it being abused in a way which is simply for the profit of a ruling elite, we can't allow that to take place. So that's why I feel, yeah, we've got to be angry. And I, I said, you know, Keir outmaneuvering Boris Johnson at um, parliamentary questions each week well, great it's entertaining that's good that's part of the job etc but you know um the the best performer i've ever seen at prime minister's questions was william hay he was just clever um, knew which where to you know where the vulnerabilities were and what what wound to press that sort of thing and uh, extremely eloquent but he was you know he was rubbish in terms of winning elections people thought he was a joke once he got outside of Parliament. And so you, it, it's not you can't just win that Prime Minister's questions and think that's going to ride you into government. It isn't. It's got to be people go, people feel emotions and therefore they want to know that you've got those same emotions and you're basing it on the reality of what people face. Just a couple of other things, because it is, it is a Sunday and I'm sure you've got many, many things to be doing, but... Labour has actually announced the policy, which is quite interesting because there, there has been a dearth of policies, uh, which is uh, a bi-British economic plan to ensure that more public contracts go to UK companies. And actually this, as you noted today on Twitter, was a policy actually was unveiled under 
Jamie Corbyn's leadership when you were shadow chancellor. It was actually condemned at the time by lots of the people who currently very passionately uh, support the Labour leadership. Corbyn is going full Trump, said one self-described centrist. Corbyn is no better than Farage, said another. This is Red UKIP, said another. Uh, um, Nicola Sturgeon compared Jeremy Corbyn to Donald Trump. I mean, I could go on. What do, I mean, is this promising? Because at the moment, it's a case of, it's like in, uh, you know, Charles yeah. Dickens, when he goes, please, sir, can I have some more? Just a little scrap of a policy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. is this, yeah, just t- t- tell me your thoughts on that. Okay. Let me go back to the article on Friday, because what I said was, is that, um, one, God say social manga. Secondly, we need a vision of the society that we want, but it's the core of that vision has got to be, well, it's the economy is stupid. And what's the key element of where we're coming from as the party of Labour? It is ensuring that actually there's a recognition in society of who creates the wealth, and it's the workers. So therefore, if the workers create the wealth, they should have a fair share in that on that wealth. And how do you do that? You ensure that they have proper trade union rights. You make sure that you have public ownership of sections of your economy. You develop cooperation. You have workers on boards. All of that. And so we thought when when Jeremy did that speech, uh, sorry, the third element also I said in that in, on Friday was the third element is that we've got to recognise that as we come out of the crisis. We're into the next crisis, and that is the the existential threat of climate change. So everything that we do has got to be mobilized around tackling that threat. So in 2018, when Jeremy did that speech, what it was all about really was how do we use the 200 billion that the government has, uses taxpayers' money to put out to the private sector for contracts? Well, some of that would be brought back in-house. It would be publicly owned, but directly um, directly made services that that were under public ownership themselves, of course, through nationalisation. But others, where we were spending that money, what we wanted to do is shift the whole economic agenda. So, for example, you'd make sure whoever got a contract had a real paid a real living wage, recognised trade unions, had workers on boards, and made sure as well that all their policies were linked to tackling climate change. So, in that way, it was an intervention about how we do it. It wasn't a matter of just British companies, but what we wanted to do is recognise actually the best way of ensuring that we could control that that funding was if we invested it back into our own communities. It was a bit like community wealth building, but on a national scale, because that's what we were encouraging at the local level. Actually, on that scale, 200 billion is a fair whack in which you can then almost transform the climate of certain sectors of industry. And we were particularly looking at some of the traditional industries like steel, etc. So, for example, if something was being built, well, Jeremy gave the good example, the HS2 or any ships or whatever we were building, or trains in particular, and we built them in this country, we used British steel. We So, in other words, you were generating jobs as well. It wasn't going back to Gordon Brown's, you know, British jobs for British workers, that, a racist strategy like that, quite the reverse, because it didn't matter. We were trying to ensure that we controlled that expenditure so that it was used in such a way, as I said, to benefit working people and to make sure the people who created the wealth had a greater share of that wealth. Now, something similar has been announced this morning, but was not part of an overall industrial strategy or that concept of actually we are the party of labor therefore our task is to make sure that labor that creates the wealth ensures gains a fair share of that wealth and that you need to set it in that sort of context really 
finally, um, there are people who are powerful and influential within the Labour leadership who want to wage an all-out factional war against the left. Uh, many of them don't think Keir Starmer is ever going to be prime minister, and they are going to keep him there until they can change, for example, the leadership rules, which determine which MPs can make it on a ballot for a wider electorate to vote on. And I say that because one of the ideas might be to revert to the electoral college where MPs have the whip hand in terms of deciding who is leader. Um, and also other assaults against party democracy, uh, which will be an attempt to put the left in what Peter Mandelson, who it is believed was having a formal role. I spoke to people after the Hartlepool by-election who, who shadowed cabinet ministers who were given lines they rejected as crap. Uh, they were told they were signed off by Peter Mandelson. I also know that he was recruiting or trying to recruit special advisors for shadow ministers who were never appointed in the end, but from the right of the party, because a reshuffle was intended. That wouldn't just clear out people who remain on the left, like Andy McDonald, who's a very good shadow uh, employment secretary of state, but even people like Jonathan Ashworth, Lisa Nandy, People like that were going to be removed in, in favour of really hardcore Blairite types. What do you think? I mean, isn't it just the case that under this leadership, whether or not Keir Starmer is naive about internal politics because he came into this thinking he wasn't factional and has ended up being used by the most ultra-factional ice pickers in the Labour Party, uh, isn't it just going to be the case that there is just going to be an all-out war against the left and the left, as things stand, is going to get smashed within the Labour Party? And if so, what is the left supposed to do about it? Let's go through the, op let's go through the options. Um, because it, the two battlegrounds that we've got, I don't like all these military illusions, but look, the two terrains of struggle, whichever way you want to describe it, really, are both in terms of the policy programme. And the second is about, yes, the institutional arrangements of the Labour Party. And that includes, yes, yeah, selection of the re leader, um, selection of MPs. It also includes the rights of constituency parties as well, by the way, uh, and the role of regional officers, the role of the bureaucracy, all of those issues. So they're the two terrains, if you like, in which we'll, ha we'll have to have a debate and, if necessary, a bit of a, a struggle over them. Yeah. Um, I've heard that Peter Mandelson has come out from, from his, his, his cave, that, uh, you know, and is um, trying to exercise influence or whatever. And you can see his fingerprints on all of this. So what are the options for the right? Um, they, the right, and I'm talking about the sort of Mandelsonian Blair, ultra Blair out right. They leave Keir in place and they seek to influence him as much as possible and get their way that way. That's the first thing. The second is they leave him in place until they get some of these in place and then they dump him. Or it's the Blairite option, which is lose the next election, collapse the Labour Party and develop another formation like SDP or some, something like that. They'll be pl I'm sure they'll be, pl they'll be plotting like that and different scenarios, etc. So how do we respond? Well, you recognise that they're always going to be doing that. <laughs> there was rows from the beginning. The first, you know, there were rows from the first time Keir Hardy chaired the meeting to form the ILP. You know, they'll always the right will always plot like that. So what do we do as the left? We do exactly what we've always done. We organise, and the way that we organise is that we organise to make sure that we 
bring forward all the brilliant ideas. So the 2017-19 manifestos were great, but we've got to move on. Got to be much more radical. So we win. We hegemonize the, the ideological debate. That's the first thing. The second thing in terms of the organizational struggle, we organize ourselves. We're now in a situation where we're losing members, a large number of members, because they're disillusioned. We lost the election. They've seen what Keir has been doing recently, and they've become disillusioned. We've got to hold on to what we've got and start bringing those people back and saying, if you're serious about socialism in this country, the Labour Party is still the only vehicle to achieve that. And if you're serious about that, you've got to get back into the Labour Party to help us in this coming period of, I'll put it as a debate, um, let's put it that uh, as soft as that, if you like. They've got to come back in this to enable us to win vote after vote in constituencies and at Labour Party conference and to prevent stitch ups that then change the, the rules, etc. In addition to that, we've got to make sure we mobilize the affiliated unions as well. And the good thing about that is actually I'm hoping that that Steve Turner now gets elected General Secretary Unite. We've got to work towards that. I'm hoping now that we now have a left NEC on, on Unison, that Unison itself will reflect the views of its members politically, which is ensuring that we have a, a, a radical Labour Party that will tackle issues like the privatisation and outsourcing the jobs, like the pay freezes being inflicted upon Unison members. So I think we've still got the strength amongst the rank and file and amongst our affiliates to fend off these, I think, ludicrous schemes by the extreme right within our party. And that enables us then to talk about more democratization of our party. I'd like to see the general secretary elected, for example. I'd like to see regional secretaries elected. I'd like to make sure that we have a almost like a bill of rights for our constituency parties so they're able to debate what they like. They're able to ensure they have free and fair elections without regional office interference, all of those matters. We've got to go on the front foot of all, about all of this because actually I think we can we can win as a, as a result of that. The other thing I just say to the right, you know, be careful what you wish for. Just be careful because whatever system they put in place, we've always been able to well, use it in such a way that we win because our ideas are the ideas of the future. You can't hold back progress. And that's what we stand. I don't mean the political organization progress. I mean the development of ideas that are progressive and the development of organization that, that is progressive. You can't hold that back. We reflect what's happening in the real world. We reflect what people in our communities are saying to us about the sort of changes that they need and want. The issue to that now is... Also, to say to them, it's the point that many people have made, and I think Ali has made it to me a few times, really. It just take it like in relation to the Muslim community, but in relation to the whole of the community. People aren't interested in these internal factional fights. For God's sake, if you're going to spend your time on that, you won't just throw away the next election. You'll throw away all elections to come. What they want to see the Labour Party doing is campaigning and as a united force on the issues that confront them. There can't be any bigger issue to mobilise around now as well than the existential threat of climate change. We've got to wake up for that. So every every time, every minute, every meeting we spend on internal faction fighting, we're, we're contributing to the catastrophe of climate change because we're not focusing our minds on that. So I think, no, I'm optimistic we can fend all that stuff off and um, Peter Mandelson can go off and have another cruise on one of the yachts of his friendly billionaires that, that he does every now and again. Sorry. <laughs> That's funny. Um, John, that was absolutely brilliant. And I think what the, the point you just made towards the end as well, I do think it's interesting. The left was often accused of 
they only they're only interested in factional control of the Labour Party. They don't have a vision for the country, and I do think that sums up that Labour right faction now more than ever because. What's been interesting in the last few years is they've had ample time to develop a policy vision and poly, policy perspectives. Tom Watson set up this, I think it was, what was it called, Future Britain Group? Yeah. Didn't go with any policies, came up with nothing. And I do think that what's interesting is, you know, the void we can certainly see from the Labour leadership is because that yeah. faction didn't lay the foundations for any modern social democratic alternative to the Tories. But I, I, if you look at the, one of our ambitions over the last, number of years was to um, establish the movement in a way which was on the ground so community organization was key to us um, was ensuring that um, the campaigns that we were waging in the party were linked to campaigns external so part of a wider social movement but also that those campaigns fed the ideas into think tanks we wanted an architecture of think tanks that's what we've got them on, an architecture of their think tanks we haven't had for quite a while. But what we wanted to do is connect those think tanks to the struggles themselves. So they nourished each other in a sort of symbiotic relationship. We've got that now. So we're bubbling with ideas. The movements are taking place. The Labour Party has got to reconnect with those movements. You know, we should be part and part, not... We shouldn't. We should be humble and not uh, think arrogantly. We can lead this. We've got to be part of the Black Lives Movement, Extinction Rebellion, the women's movement that's campaigning against the misogyny at the moment. All of those issues, the disability movement. We've got to be part of them to help resource them, support them, and nurture them when they're in the in in their embryonic forms as well. And in that way, we can build confidence back in that we become almost the political arm of those movements when it comes into parliamentary representation. That's the exciting future that I see. The other thing as well, remember the new generation that's coming through at the moment, it's just unbelievable. It's just fantastic, you know. My worry is that they're not orientating themselves towards the Labour Party. If we can transform the Labour Party and its attitude to those movements, I think those young people will come alongside us and then many of them will, will join or rejoin. So I'm optimistic about the future, but I don't underestimate the... Um, the um, friendly debate and comradely debates that we'll have, like with people like Comrade Mandelson. <laughs> Comrade Mandelson, that's only one way of putting it. John. Uh, he won't write that one, will he? <laughs> he's, 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 I mean, he did used to be in the Young Communist League, which I suspect is the last time he used uh, Comrade with such wild abandon. Uh, John, that well, was he great. Has a few childish tendencies. I'll go into that. Yeah, certainly does. He would certainly like to ice pick both of us metaphorically to avoid a exchange of lawyers' letters. Uh, cheers, John. That was absolutely brilliant. Really appreciate when you come on, and the comments have been overwhelmingly just very, very relieved. Actually, partly because I think people feel they need a bit of leadership right now. There's a bit of a, a lack of leadership, and I think you've just offered it. So thank you. Uh, All right. Take care. Take care, John. Thanks for listening, everyone. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ONJZ4 or the support function in the description. And do subscribe and we'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.